You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And don't forget to check out the Locked On Today podcast, hosted by the ailing Peter Bukowski, who also hosts Locked On Packers. It must be not a happy camper right now, considering the events of Thursday, which is what we are going to talk about all day. Of course, the first day of the draft is in the books. The first round has transpired, and the Vikings did two things. One, is trade down from 14 to 23, and two is select Christian Derrissaw, left tackle out of Virginia Tech. So we'll talk about both the merits of the trade as well as the merits of Christian Derrissaw himself, where he slots in to the Vikings' plans at at, at offensive line, his scheme fit, and all sorts of other stuff. If you listened on Wednesday, you'll know that my evaluation on him requires a little bit of nuance, but I did basically have him as a kind of late first, you know, second half of the first round kind of guy, which is where he ends up going to the Vikings and you know, they kind of appropriately uh, managed their way around the board for that. First, though, I do want to mention the Aaron Rodgers stuff just because it's a division rival and it seems kind of earth shattering if it happens. It seemed like for a second before the draft. Um, so Adam Schefter came out with a pre-prepared article and, uh, you know, a tweet and then a whole bunch of other beat writers started tweeting their perspectives on the whole thing. Trey Wingo and Ian uh, Rappaport and uh, Mike Cleese, who covers the Denver area, who will be involved in this story in a sec. Um, Aaron Rodgers is unhappy in Green Bay. That's the the headline of it. And that's kind of huge, right? Because if he ends up going outside of the NFC and the Vikings probably never have to play him again, unless he ends up, you know, in the AFC North and they have to play him this year once or something like that. Of course, that changes the entire landscape of the NFC North. It sounded for a second like there was a really competitive offer from Denver that came in for uh, the the Packers. What I understand the, the Packers are kind of uh, looking at on this is that they they want to smooth things over with Aaron Rodgers. The reporting is that when uh, the Packers and 49ers were in talks to trade for Aaron Rodgers, it sounds like that happened before the 49ers went up for three. Uh, it might have been after they went up for three, and it might have been like three for Aaron Rodgers and something else or something like that. There was a talk going on. It seems like it didn't get too far, but Aaron Rodgers caught wind that the Packers were thinking about trading him, and he's been kind of upset ever since they drafted Jordan Love last year. So that all kind of came to a head, and it seems like it's a more personal thing than it is about who his surroundings are, or did they draft too many defenders and not enough wide receivers or something. They took a cornerback again tonight, but I don't think it has anything to do with any of that. It sounds like it's much more of an interpersonal conflict rather than something about his contract or his money or whatever. And so for a second, it sounded like there was there were like multiple reputable people um, that cover the, the Denver beat and the national beat that said that there was like they were close to closing a deal with Denver for Aaron Rodgers, like this earth shattering thing on, on draft night. Um, and then the steam kind of died down. The draft started and later it came out like, no, that deal didn't happen. Somebody had bad information or something like that, you know, classic pre-draft random smoke. But it seems like there is something to that situation. And I thought I would mention it because at the very least that the Packers are so determined to give Aaron Rodgers an extension, which is what they're much more interested in doing. They kind of came out and said, no, we didn't want that deal at all, um, that they are so 
invested in giving Aaron Rodgers more time with the Packers. Of course, he's Aaron Rodgers, right? That makes sense. But it also does imply that Jordan Love's development is not going well because they basically are committing to Aaron Rodgers starting at quarterback throughout the entirety of Jordan Love's rookie deal. That's not something you do if you feel like that guy can be a starter for you eventually. And if it takes him five years to be a starter, I mean, what quarterback is doing that, right? That's the Alex Smith trajectory, and that's just not how the NFL works anymore. So I don't know fascinating thing to watch. But of course, let's talk about the Vikings here on Locked On Vikings. I think that a trade of Aaron Rodgers to Denver would be worth covering, though. But let's talk about the Vikings, because the way the board fell was very, very favorable to the Vikings. Panay Sewell went at seven. I know a lot of people were really interested in Panay Sewell, but it meant that uh, Rayshon Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker were all going to be on the board. And in fact, both of those guys were on the board when the Chargers were up at 13. Of course, there's also the Bears trading up for Justin Fields, which is uh, a fascinating move. And we'll have to see how it works out. Of course, I was hugely high on Justin Fields. So the fact that he ends up in the division, not my favorite thing in the world. Um, It's hard to know exactly what deal the Vikings declined. It sounds like uh, Rick did allude to the fact that they did maybe try to trade up um, earlier in the night. He didn't allude to like how far they tried to trade up or what the compensation would have been or what deal they declined. And without knowing that, it's hard to assail too much that they didn't trade up for uh, Justin Fields because the Bears paid a lot. They paid a first rounder next year and then two other picks, a fifth round rounder and a fourth rounder one of them's next year as well um as well as their pick in uh at, at number 20 to go up to pick number 11 with the giants and pick justin fields now the vikings only would have had to go up three spots so they probably wouldn't have had to pay that steep a price but what was the steep price i don't really know uh, maybe you would have paid you know two first round two future first round picks but i think for how upset people were and generally about not having a second round pick this year and, and how people seemed super desperate to get a second round pick this year. Um, not having a first round pick next year to help surround your rookie quarterback with all that talent is, I guess, more of a cost than than people are giving it credit for. I mean, you can't overpay for your franchise quarterback, right? But the Vikings, I don't think we're ever really in a mood to move on from Kirk Cousins. And you might hate that, but that's probably because you disagree with them about how good Kirk Cousins is. And I think that's perfectly valid, but they're not going to behave like Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback if they don't think Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. So that, plus the Chargers taking Rayshon Slater, led to the Vikings up at 14 with all the edge rushers on the board, so that's Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, whoever else you like, and Elijah Vera Tucker, Tevin Jenkins, Christian Derrissaw, all on the board. So with all of that talent on there, they traded back nine spots with the Jets. Let's talk about that trade real quick. They give up pick 14 and pick 143. That's their compensatory fourth round pick from Trey Waynes. So the Trey Waynes pick and pick 14. In return, they get pick 23 pick 66 and pick 86, both of the Jets' third rounders. So they now are sitting with four third rounders headed into day two. And we'll talk about the uh, the, the value of that and kind of what they could possibly do with that tomorrow at the end of the show. But if you want to use the Rich Hill chart, trade chart, which is the trade chart, I've been using this kind of whole process because it's based on what the market is And instead of being crafted on like the value of players, which maybe will tell you who is projected to win a trade, it tells you more about what the market price should be, which I think gives you more insight into like who out negotiated who. And on that chart, the Jets overpaid by about a fourth round pick. So net the Vikings come out with a net profit of about a fourth round pick. And you can think of it, too. You know, now instead of picking at 14 and 78, they pick at 23 
66 and then 78 and then also 86. And I think that comes out way, way ahead, considering also that they were very high on Derisaw throughout this whole process and they end up getting him anyways, or at least that's the way that they 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 told it. Uh, but as Ben Gessling, who's very plugged into the to the, the organization, was kind of covering as the, the draft board fell between 14 and 23, he said, kind of kept saying Derisaw, like Derisaw is the guy to watch. Derisaw still on the board. Now, you know, Derisaw and Pay still on the board. Pay goes at 21, two picks before where the Vikings traded down. They traded down past a lot of interesting players. Vera Tucker goes to the Jets at that 14th pick. Uh, both Jalen Phillips and Quiddy Pay go in that range. But if they were truly as high on Derisaw as they are telling us they were, um, then of course the trade down, you know, doesn't cost. If you were thinking about tra- uh, drafting Derisaw at 14 and then you draft him at 23 and pick up a whole bunch of extra value on top of that, of course, that's a huge win. And that's the point that Rick Spielman made in his press conference. If that is truly how their board was, then great. The trade up there, the trade down worked out great. If they had, you know, this crazy way higher grade on Vera Tucker than they did on Derisaw, you kind of have to find the difference and how you quantify that. You take Vera Tucker minus Derisaw and what value is that worth? And is how does that value stack up to the picks that they gained to, to choose if it was worth it? But a lot of people had Derisaw over Vera Tucker, and so they're more than happy to take Derisaw at 14 over Vera Tucker anyways, and if you get him at 23, then that's all the better. So we'll talk a lot about uh, Derisaw coming up in a second here, but first I want to talk to you about the sponsor for today's episode, which is 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece, they're per- a- the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10 This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced, so you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're on the hunt for perf- the perfect, unique ring that she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at bluenile.com. All right, so let's actually break down Christian Derisaw, who ends up being the pick at number 23. Also on the board was Tevin Jenkins and Landon Dickerson, two guys that I think when I did my O-line rankings, I know I had uh, Jenkins over Derisaw. I think I had Dickerson over Derisaw, although because Derisaw's a pure tackle and Dickerson is probably more likely to play interior offensive line, they're a little more difficult to compare. But if I were in charge, I would have taken Tevin Jenkins. I had them all in the same tier, so not to such a degree where I would like tell the Vikings they were idiots or anything like that. And Tevin Jenkins fell all the way out of the first round. So maybe I'm just wrong, but I and I think I have good reasons for for believing that. I think Tevin Jenkins has a lot more awareness than Christian Derisaw and I think that that is going to lead to uh some some production in a negative way for Derisaw. And I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit, but let's talk more about what his kind of ethos is as a player because I still had a late first round grade on him. Like there's more good than bad here. And I think the biggest thing Christian Derisaw is that he is a huge breath of fresh air. Even Mike Zimmer in his post draft presser was like we wanted to add some size to the offensive line. Um and kind of alluding that he wanted to rebuke the the way the Vikings have drafted offensive line for the last four years, which is find me, you know, agile guys with a lot of speed. They've got all these athletic thresholds with, um, I mean, they always have athletic thresholds. They want good athletes, but they always seem to prioritize speed and agility um, and explosion over, uh, you know, like pure power and ability to anchor. They'll get somebody, you know, with a good broad jump and a good three cone and a good 40 time. And then, you know, that guy gets blown off the ball a whole bunch or, you know, that Garrett Bradbury gets blown back and Brian O'Neill 
Neil has difficulty anchoring. That's his whole deal. Um, Christian Derrissaw could not be further from that profile. And that might be a really good news to you if you don't like the way the Vikings have handled offensive line lately. This is different. This is not trying the same thing over and over again. This is definitely a different approach with, with Derrissaw. He's like the least Vikings-y prospect out there and perhaps in a good way. And the biggest thing, he got a lot of sand in his pants. He can anchor, man. Like he cannot be moved once he's got you set up. And, uh, you know, once he's he's set up and if he can get a reasonable engagement, you know, it's a lot easier to go around him than go through him. And so if you are up against a rusher, like, say, Romeo Aquaro, the Vikings are going to see twice a year, who tries to go through you, Derisaw is going to be a really, really good matchup against that guy. Technique-wise, he has some favorites, right? Um, and he really, really likes to use the hug technique. And you might recognize the hug technique from the last 15 years of the Packers. Um, it was actually popularized a lot by James Campin, uh, the offensive line coach for the Packers for a long time. I don't know where he is now. But the idea was to basically get linemen that are really good at anchoring if they lose the leverage battle and then have them lose the leverage battle on purpose in order to get a, a great handle on lateral motion. So a lot of defensive linemen, they want to kind of set you up and then swim past you or spin past you or, you know, kind of uh, club out your arms and, and bend around the corner of you, you know, dip underneath you or something like that. They want to get through the sides of you. And so the point of the hug technique is to essentially say, no, you have to go through me directly. And if I'm more powerful than you, I'm going to win. This is how David Bakhtiari has like made his career. And now it's spread to a lot of the offensive line uh, in the NFL. Even the Vikings have started to kind of uh, take it on. The problem is if you're Brian O'Neill, the hug technique is not right for you. This is my biggest problem with Sam Cosme out of Texas, who's still on the board, by the way is that he and a guy like O'Neal don't have that ability to anchor. So if they give up the leverage battle, they're just going to get blown back, and it doesn't matter what happens with their hands. But the the advantage of the hug technique is that if you are going kind of uh, with your arms from the outside and you swing your arms way around and give them a big hug, right? And, uh, you know, when your arms are coming in from the outside, it's really, really difficult for defensive linemen to club them out of the way or set up any of the moves they're trying to set up. It's really difficult to counter with anything but a bull rush. And so Christian Derrissaw can anchor against that bull rush and do that hug technique. And once he's kind of got you locked up with his hands on your shoulder pads and you can't go anywhere laterally and you can't go through him because he's stronger than you, you're just kind of dead to rights. It just gives up your chest. But for Derisaw, that's not really a problem. He can kind of always anchor. And his scheme fit is better than you think as well. There were a lot of people calling him kind of a man scheme only type guy. And I kind of disagree with that because I think while he is a bigger, more powerful lineman that is not typical of a wide zone scheme, we use athleticism and size and build kind of as a shorthand for actual scheme fit. And a lot of times that's that works as a decent enough shortcut where we don't have to go, you know, do what NFL teams would do for this. And watch a bunch of tape of them doing reach blocks and stuff. But if you're 313 and you have what probably would have been a terrible agility score, but you can reach block, I kind of don't care about what your agility score would have been. And by the way, Christian Derrissaw didn't do any testing at his pro day. He was dealing with an injury for most of like February and March, so he didn't train the way he wanted to and he didn't test. Even assuming the worst about his testing... His tape kind of shows that he's more functionally athletic than he would be like measurably athletic. And ultimately, football is played with fun functional athleticism. He's really good at getting the right angle into the second level. He can kind of find his way, seal a guy off. He can kind of maneuver his hips. He's got very flexible hips, which is very nice. Um, and so he can play the zone scheme role without being the kind of classic undersized zone scheme lineman. And I think that's what made the Vikings fall in love with him. 
Now, all that is the good stuff, and I'm going to talk about the bad stuff, but what, I, what I'm about to say in the bad stuff might not overwhelm what you just heard in your mind. You might be really, really sold on Christian Derrissaw at this point, and what I'm about to say won't be enough to change your mind, and I would say, great, you agree with the Vikings then. I have some concerns, and I'm going to talk about them in just a minute. But first, of course, we got to talk about the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. It has 18 amazing flavors, including the 12 originals, like coconut, almond, chocolate, raspberry... Uh, chocolate orange if you're into that banana bread sneaky good chocolate peanut butter all of them are covered in 100% chocolate even a couple of new flavors like cookies and cream caramel brownie coconut brownie chunk all sorts of stuff that you don't feel like you should be able to indulge in if you're trying to lose or maintain weight but it's low in sugar it's low uh, calorie it's high in fiber high in protein um, and it's delicious even keto friendly if that's the kind of thing you are trying to pull off so if you want to get a box for yourself try it for yourself you can go to builtbar.com and at checkout enter promo code locked 15 that's locked 15 L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, all one word, you get 15% off of your next order. And that's at BuiltBar.com. So the negatives to Chris, for Christian Derrissaw to me, are there are two kind of major ones that I talked about on Wednesday show, but I'll go, uh, I'll, I'll kind of reiterate them here and kind of talk about how I, I feel about them now that he's a Viking. And for me, one is, I guess, a worry, and one is like really, really just a frustrating thing I don't think will ever be fixed. So the worry is his footwork on his pass sets can get him in trouble sometimes. So there's a couple things. A, he likes to set up with a really wide base, which is part of why he's so good at anchoring. But in exchange for that, he kind of has no agility. So uh, really agile pass rushers can get around him. And he's kind of let himself get juked or, or set out of position. A little head fake can set him up and knock him down. Um, and that's because his feet are so wide. He's like an 18 wheeler. And so adjusting to more agility based pass rush moves is difficult for him. And he also, I just don't think he gets enough depth on his kick slide consistently. He, far too often, I find him kind of caught with a speed rusher kind of getting to his outside shoulder before he would want that speed rusher to get to his out, outside shoulder. And that means that he either has to flip his hips, which is a bad habit that he has developed and needs to unlearn. And that's going to be a difficult task for Rick Dennison and company, um, because when you flip your hips and you have kind of you're too willing to flip your hips before you've gotten your depth, which is what he does, then you can get beat to the inside. If you think about it, you know, if you, it's, it's almost like playing cornerback. If you flip your hips right away and you're not playing like press bail or something, if you flip your hips right away and then it turns out to be a curl route and you're running away from it, you know, this is how Xavier Rhodes got smoked in 2019. So I think not only does he have to fix his footwork, he also has to unlearn the bad habit that is born of that bad footwork. And I'm a little bit worried about that. And I'm, and I'm worried about how easy it is to get up field on him. And sometimes that is on purpose because, you know, sometimes he would like trap block people and it's kind of hard not to get those mixed up with the actual failures. Um, but sometimes, you know, guys just get the edge on him and they just can bend around him like a little bit too easily or they can head fake him a little bit too easily. So I want to see him kind of uh, tighten up his feet on his sets a little bit. He's got enough sand in his pants that he can, I think, uh, anchor without having to set up super, super wide like he does. And I'd like him to see uh, to get a little bit more depth on his kick slide. That's technique stuff. You can call that coachable if you want. What really bugs me is the finish. He just doesn't finish. And, and uh, you know, he doesn't finish is a common refrain when it comes to offensive linemen. A lot of offensive linemen, you know, in the run, they will let up instead of burying a guy at the end of the play. And coaches want to see him bury the guy. And it's like, ah, oh, he doesn't have a mean streak. And that guy does have a mean streak. And we see that as a positive. 
this isn't what I'm talking about here. It's much worse than that. That is a criticism that I don't really care about. What is happening with uh, Christian Derrissaw is kind of concerning because he'll let up in the middle of the play, like multiple times a game. Like it really pops out when you watch entire games and just hone in on him. There's times when I literally am yelling at my screen going like, what are you doing? Go hit a guy. And I hope it doesn't translate to the NFL because what can happen is, you know, a, a running back can try to, you know, try to flip the field, right? Reverse field and like go make a big improvisational play. We've seen Dalvin Cook do that a couple of times where, you know, you get, oh, that was like the best five yard run I've ever seen because he was kind of dead to rights in the backfield. That gets a lot harder if the backside lineman, and I'm describing a play that that is one of the examples, um, I kind of wrote all this stuff in an article at Zone Coverage, and one of the examples is exactly that. It was an outside zone run. The front side of the play got beat um, because the right tackle kind of stinks, and uh, the running back tried to kind of reverse field. And who was there but the guy that Christian Derrissaw kind of let up on because he thought he was on the backside of the play. That's going to drive coaches nuts. It drives me nuts. There's a lot of plays. There are screens where if he kind of can't find someone to block, he'll just sort of let up instead of looking for work, sometimes in pass protection. If he doesn't end up having an assignment because of the way the pass rush is constructed, he doesn't look for work. He just kind of stands there. A lot of times it seems like he's caught processing and caught trying to figure out what's going on in the play rather than having full awareness of what the defense is doing. That's my biggest reason for liking Tevin Jenkins over him, where that's maybe the biggest strength of Tevin Jenkins, other than just like really polished technique, um, that Tevin Jenkins knows everything that's going on in the defense, and he's very, very savvy and is able to kind of maximize what he does. Derrissaw doesn't necessarily share that trait, and sometimes he just gets lost in the second level, and he kind of stands there and blocks no one. And so sometimes it seems like, I mean, you could maybe even call it he has trouble finding his assignment sometimes, and maybe that's a more of a mental side of the issue. I don't think it's a laziness issue. I don't think it's an effort issue. I think it's more of an awareness issue, but it's an issue nonetheless, and I would like to see uh, just a little bit more desire to go kill someone. You're 313 pounds and you're six foot five. Go beat the crap out of someone, man. You're a football player. So that really bugs me. And as I was doing more tape study after the Vikings made the pick, I realized that it was happening a lot more than I had given it credit for. And that really, in terms of like, that's not something that I think changes in the NFL. I like, think that's just a that's just a thing the Vikings have to put up with for as long as they want to start him at tackle. Maybe that's worth it for having a little more anchor and, and you know, having a little bit uh, more ability to stand up to bolt rushes and to keep clean pockets and stuff like that. Maybe it is worth it. I, I actually think it probably is worth it, which is why I still feel good about not moving him like out of the first round or anything like that and saying that, you know, if you had asked me before the draft, should Christian Derrissaw go around pick 23? I would have said, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But that's why I didn't. I, I would have actually been pretty upset if he went at 14 over Elijah Vera Tucker, um, the way that things kind of played out, I would have taken Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins is far from a perfect prospect in his own right. Um, but with Derisaw, that's something that you're going to have to be okay with in exchange for the power. And the power is great and it's really, really exciting. Let yourself get excited about the power. There's nothing wrong with that. But the finish bothers me a lot and it's something that I, I just can't like pick up and ignore because it's not something that just happened on a couple plays. It's all the time. I'm not going to go so far as to say I don't like the pick. I'm okay with the pick, but that's as far as I'm going to go. I'm all right with it. Let's see what happens day two. And speaking of day two, now the Vikings have four 
third round picks. They have pick 66, which is the second pick in the third round. They have pick 86, which is the other one they got from the Jets. And then the two they started with 78 and 90. So you can package two of those and go up to pick 33 right now. If you go by the Rich Hill chart, you can absolutely go up anywhere you want in the second round. Now, there's three edge rushers of the uh, group that I had covered, the group that I kind of saw as guys that can be day one starters. Those guys are Aziz Ojolari, uh, Joseph Asai and Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest. Joseph Asai out of Texas, Ajilari out of uh, Georgia. Those are the guys that I think can be kind of insta starters for the Vikings. Everybody else, you kind of have to like hope they develop more quickly than you thought or something like that. So what I would do if I were the Vikings is I would let two of those guys off the board and then trade up and get the third one, get the one that's cheapest, right? You don't know when that group is going to kind of come off the board, but you can at least kind of say, okay, if two of them are gone, the third one's probably not far behind and you can kind of maneuver the board that way and and, uh, spend as little as possible to get a guy that you like. And I like all three of those guys roughly evenly. If I had to pick one, it would be Ajilari. But uh, I would take Bash, Basham and Asai in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't be sad about it at all. So get me one of those edge rushers and pick two other times on day two, and I'll be a real happy camper when we come back to talk tomorrow. There's also a lot of wide receivers on the board. Uh, Elijah and Rondale Moore are there. Uh, Amari Rogers is there. A lot of people are high on him. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I'm really high on him. There's a lot of really interesting wide receivers out there. The edge rushers at the end of the first round, kind of there was kind of a run on them. Tryon went. Um, Peyton Turner went. Uh, Jason Owen went, uh, Pay and Phillips were long gone. So the edge rushers kind of got picked clean, but there's still a few left. And I think you only need one of them, even if it's the last one to come off the board. I'm still okay with that. Um, So go up and get an edge rusher and then probably stand pat in the rest of day three, unless there's somebody else or day two, unless there's somebody else you're really, really into. And maybe even trade one of those third rounders back to get a whole bunch of picks in the third in in day three and see if you can't throw a little bit of money at the wall. That's what I would like to see. I'd like to see Rick Spielman move up and down the board and kind of manipulate this a little bit and not just sit there and pick four times in the third round. But if the board falls in a way that he's really excited about a guy that's coming right to him and they fall in his lap and he doesn't feel like he has to, I can still respect that, even though that probably wouldn't line up with my evaluations of the players. And just so you know, there will be a show uh, tomorrow recapping day two. There will be a show on Sunday recapping day three, and there will be a show on Monday recapping undrafted free agency and talking about the draft as a whole. So make sure you stick around. Don't don't miss out on any of that stuff. I am here with you all draft weekend. We're going to recap everything as it comes. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL shows on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can also find me hanging out on the climbing the pocket live stream. Um, you'll find links to that in, in social. I've already retweeted a couple of plugs for it, so you can find all the links there. Uh, And uh, as always, skull.